The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 45th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 26th of March. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure your sheets and maps have been uploaded while you are gathered at the meeting table. Uh, Our guest this week is Michael Johnson, and he is a podcaster, artist, web developer, web designer, and gamer. That's a lot of hats. That's that's a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I got to a chance to to meet Michael uh, on his podcast called Trivia Geeks, uh, which I highly recommend you uh, you listening to because it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I got a chance to watch him do some gameplay of uh, Tom Clancy's The Division just recently, and God, he's really good. Uh, (laughs) Well, compared to me, you're absolutely fucking amazing. Uh, uh, He introduced me to Obsidian Portal uh, earlier today, and it's a site where GMs get a chance to uh, basically create an online portal which allows you to organize character sheets and do a game journal and upload maps for the game. And it's just like an all in one place for you to uh, just have all your gaming materials at the ready. And uh, we wanted to to talk to him about how he uses the particular service that he does, uh, Obsidian Portal, and just kind of discuss some of the the benefits of of using a system like that and uh, some of his gaming experiences as well. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, the second in command here is Glenn Bittner. He is a movie reviewer on his YouTube show, The B-Movie Bunker, and the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you, sir? Uh, doing all right. It, you lack conviction in your voice. I don't quite believe you, Glenn. <laughs> I am ready to rock and or roll. Okay. It was either that or maybe you needed a hug. I wasn't sure. I always need hugs. <laughs> And I would give you one, sir. Uh, on that awkward note, all right, hey, we're going to do our regular roundtable with our start off with our game review and do some game news. And we, we changed something up here so the YouTube folks uh, actually get to hear Ryan Murphy's uh, his gaming news. So uh, that should be fun instead of that, that pause that you've always heard. Uh, that's For the people that listen to the audio portion, you actually get that in post, so uh, this should be interesting, our first time running this, so uh, let's jump right into it. Glenn, 
you have a new review for us uh, for a game called Five Tribes. Tell us more. Five Tribes. Brought to us by Days of Wonder. Uh, this is a game, despite the name Five Tribes, it's only for two to four players. <laughs> uh, which annoyed me because I it took me five tries to actually get to play this game because we always have five people that'd be the ones sitting out. So the joys of working at a store where you're showing people how to play means often you don't get to play. Um, it is designed by uh, Bruno Cathala, who I've talked about before. He's done some of my favorite two-player games, uh, Naya, Longhorn, Mr. Jack. He also did Abyss, which I've reviewed before on here, and one that you're familiar with, Brad, Shadows over Camelot. Yep. So, good pedigree there. Um, basically, five tribes. A little story that they had to go with it is, crossing into the land of a thousand and one nights, your caravan arrived at the fabled Sultanate of Nakala. The old sultan has just died. The control of Nakala is up for grabs. The oracles foretold of strangers who would maneuver the five tribes he had influence over the legendary city-state. Will you fulfill the prophecy? Invoke the old genes to move the tribes into position at the right time, and the Sultanate will become yours. Um, this game uses, uh, so it's German style, so you've got a lot of little wooden meeple, meeples in this game. Um, so it's kind of, in a way, worker placement. However, it's a little different. The game board is made up of uh, individual tiles. The tiles all have special uh, abilities associated with them that you might uh, add palm trees or palaces to the to the board to increase the points of the tiles. It might let you do specific things like go to the market or recruit a one of the uh, ancient jinn to help you in your cause. But the way you use the tiles is what really makes this game interesting is it uses a, for those who aren't familiar, there's an ancient game, law, one of the oldest games ever called Mancala, where you pick stones up and then you have to move them around and try to get them into these different cups so you can score points. And it uses yeah, that mechanic. That. Okay. You actually, so on your turn, you will take all the meeples off one tile, and then you will figure out where you want to go, and you will drop one meeple on every tile you pass until you get to where you want to be. Mm. When you drop your last meeple there, you take all the meeples of one specific color, and you add and you take those, and then that determines partly what you can do on your turn. You have some, like uh, white meeples, they're worth points. They also can be used to recruit gins. Uh, gold or yellow meeples, are simply worth points. They're elders. You have reds, which are assassins, which let you kill off either someone else's elders or their white meeples, or kill other meeples on the board. You have green ones, which are merchants, which let you get things from the market. So it, it's all based on what you want to do on your turn. You figure out where you need to take from, where you have to get to. If you ever take the last meeple off of a tile, you put one of your camels on it to claim that tile is yours. Mm. Uh, basically, the tiles are worth points at the end of the game, as are, as I said, yellow meeples, white meeples, um, and gins uh, as well, plus goods that you get from the market. So there's lots of ways to score points. It also uses a bidding strategy to determine play turn every time, uh, every every turn. So starting with the first player each turn, he will bid. There is a track where you can bid, you know, you can bid one coin or three coins or five coins or zero. And whatever he wants to do, he places himself on that spot, pays whatever he decided to pay, and the next player then places their bid. Now, obviously, if I take the three spot, you can't take that one. If you want to go before me, you have to pay five. If you don't care about going after me, you'd pay one or maybe zero. Okay. The trick with zero is that if 
if you take zero, if you're the first person you take zero because you don't want to spend the money, if I decide to take zero as well, I actually push you out of the way and move you further down the zero track. Now, if you don't mind being last, that's fine. But if you're hoping that no one else will take zero, you might find yourself, it's like, well, I'll still go before you because I can push you off of that. If three people all claim zero, the last person has to pay because there's only three spots on the zero, zero track. Um, but the game, it just there's so many different ways to score points and, and to win the game because you can get points from the gene, which are worth can be worth a fair amount of points, but there's a lot of points in the tiles too. Um, so it's it's all a balance of figuring out where you're going to get your points from because you can't just do one. If you just do one thing, you're not going to score enough points. You have to have some mix, but you want to focus a little heavy on something. So there's just there's so many different ways to win because the djinn uh, all have a spe- each one has their own special ability. So some may let you do like double assassinations when you use the assassin meeples, or they may let you uh, score extra points or all these different put extra palm uh, palm trees or palaces out. But only a specific number of djinn will come out each game, so they're always different as well. So you don't always have the same. Jins uh, when you play, so there's just so many, so much variety. I like the fact that it has such replayability. As I said, I've I've played it now three times, and I've taught it six or seven, okay. and I have seen so many different combinations uh, be the winner. I saw one person who went real heavy with the elders, and then uh, and then trying to get some of the gin, and almost had almost no tiles at all. But because they had the elders and they had enough gin, they managed to pull up the victory. I had someone else who focused almost entirely on tiles and then just got some goods as well. So they had some goods to sell at the end for money because money is your victory points as well. So just a lot of variety, a lot of replayability, which makes this a really cool game. And it plays it plays fairly quick. Um, I'd say 45 minutes to an hour generally is, is about how long this one takes. Um, sometimes a little long. I mean, obviously, first time through can be a little longer, but it all sure. depends on whether or not you have someone who, you know, people who can make up their mind. Sometimes people get a little caught up on trying to map out exactly where they can go with what meeples to do what they want. Um, it's a little easy at the start of the game because there's so many options, but as the board gets thinner and thinner and thinner as far as what's available to take, then people start to think a bit more and more because now you're trying to work out, well, how can I get to what I want? Sure. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're like, I really need to get some white meeples, but you're looking at the board and you're going, there's no way for me to do it because the only ones that have it don't get me where I want to go. So So it's easy to fall into analysis paralysis is what you're saying. It very much is. So there are certain people I'd be less inclined to play this with. Pat Rothfuss. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't naming any names. Uh, behold the curse of the black crayon. All right. Uh, story for another day. Um, so what does this approximately retail for, Glenn? $65. Okay. So still well within that that range that we keep talking about for uh, good board games. And looking at the amount of meeples that you get as the Germans are apt to do. Uh, that's that's a really good price. So, and like you said, high replayability, a lot of fun, and for a smaller group of people getting together to game, uh, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, we play this one at Freakspace. 
Oh, you did? We did. Was that Friday? Uh, Friday night? Saturday. Saturday. Oh, okay. Probably was that, yeah, we got there later. Anyways, uh, way behind the scenes stuff, never mind. Uh, so, hey, Michael. Yeah. Uh, we've established that you do a lot of uh, RPG stuff. Mm-hmm. And you do a lot of uh, PC console gaming. Uh, how about board gaming? Um, you know, I just uh, the the one board game I've been playing a lot lately is D and D Castle Ravenloft. Okay. Um, I'm, from my friends and I, I've been enjoying that a whole lot. It's it's kind of a fun time getting everybody together with with this game and how it has its um its modular gameplay with with the uh, map element that goes on and what I understand that there's at least two other uh, uh, two other D&D games that use the same a similar tile set as far as as how that works that are relatively interchangeable um, so I've been wanting to get a hold of those at some point uh, I just got a new game for my birthday last month called um, um, hang on let me grab it here okay um, it's called small world Oh, oh yes. Yep. We have a copy of it here, too. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, Small World. And it's still wrapped in plastic, so I haven't yeah. had the chance to take it out yet. Um, but it looks like a lot of fun um, from, from what my friend was showing. Small World is what, is what I refer to as risk done right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds, that sounds good, then. It's been a long time since I played Risk, and I remember... Rule hacking the hell out of it, so. <laughs> and uh, the D and D board games, the ones that you don't have is there is Wrath of a Shardalon, which has a dragon. Mm-hmm. There is you said you have Castle Ravenloft, right? Right, which also has yeah. a dragon. Yes. Uh, there is <laughs> the Legend of Drizzt. Oh right, yeah, there's a Drizzy one. Dark Elf. Yeah. And then the newest one is Temple of Elemental Evil. Ah. Uh. Yes. You know, for us all, for any old school gamers who are Back in my day. Yes, back in my day. I have a bunch of elemental evil spell cards right here. (laughs) There you go. Nice. So, yeah, there are three others. I was so pleased when, after uh, that, they came out with that in... It's nice to see that Wizards of the Coast with D&D 5 are actually dipping back into the legacy stuff. Uh, bringing back some of the old creatures and mm-hmm. God, Ravenloft! Oh my God, that was oh, like yeah. such a great setting to to play in. Ravenloft was such a fun setting. We had a oh. we had a fun time just running around in Ravenloft one time. Um, we wh- my character was a, a Nazumi. We were playing some weird Gestalt game um, when we were running around Ravenloft. So my character was a Nazumi, which is a rat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, with, it was a rogue with uh, mixed with a samurai. So I basically spent all my skills or skill points in Iaijutsu focus. Um, and I could always have my claws as like a ready sneak attack weapon. And it was it was the most broken character that I'd ever created in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking um, of Ravenloft, we had uh, James Louder on. Uh, four episodes ago, and uh, he he wrote uh, the Night of the Black Rose uh, okay. Ravenloft novel, and he's done some other D and D stuff. And yeah, we we reminisced a bit of of the old Ravenloft days. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. 
<sighs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Glenn. Absolutely, Brad. And uh, we'd like to talk to you briefly about uh, getting some support from you, the listener, or YouTube viewer, for that matter. Uh, if you enjoy what you hear or see, uh, hopefully you consider uh, helping us with some of our web and audio uh, hosting. Uh, with your support, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help uh, defray some of those costs and, and help keep things running. Uh, if you do decide to do a, uh, a $3 monthly support, you can get a monthly newsletter which has extra stories related to all of the different podcasts that we, uh, we at Galactic Netcast have. And if you do $5, you can get an extra bonus episode of each of our different podcasts that we have. So uh, take, a chan uh, take some time and go to patreon.com slash galactic netcast and support us at whatever level you feel you are able to. We'd appreciate it. All right, the news. Uh, yeah, I just got sucked into finally playing uh, Bioshock Infinite, which I bought on Steam on you know one of their wallet draining sales that they did a while back uh, probably gosh I think I bought it like a year year and a half ago and I'm finally now starting to play it and of course it's like sucking my life away <laughs> and uh, kind of in in uh, in opposition to that as it were Anessa just bought Fallout 4 for P for a PS4 so she's gonna play her game I'm gonna play my game and uh, We'll probably see each other a couple of times this next week. <laughs> but anyways, uh, speaking of Fallout 4, they just released the DLC of the Automatron, which, uh, yeah, I I've seen some gameplay videos of that. And um, for those of you who... So have I. <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> it's creepy. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've... I played uh, Fallout 3, and I played Tactics, Fallout, and Fallout 1. So I, I've kind of got to see some of the <clears throat> evolution of, of the Fallout series, and once I finally get my hands on Fallout 4 and you know lose a good two weeks of my life, um, yeah, I just... I, <laughs> Fallout 3 was the only one I ever played... It actually went all the way through with the intention to to get to the end and beat it, and was very dissatisfied. <laughs> oh, really? Oh no! Well, if if you, if you didn't play any of the DLC from Fallout Three, the ending in Fallout Three is very, very disappointing. I, I also have a very odd relationship with with Bethesda games because the first one I ever played was uh, Oblivion, and I played a little bit of it and was kind of, eh, I didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do, so put that away. And then Fallout 3 came out and played some of that, and I put that away. And then Skyrim came out and I played some of that and put that away. And then Fallout 4 came out, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to play Fallout 3, I'm going to beat it. So I played Fallout 3, beat it, and found out that it was only like a dozen quests long. It was kind of sad because I didn't feel like going through all the side quests and going down rabbit holes and getting out everywhere. Yeah, and you know that's really where it's sh shown so brightly is all the right. different rabbit holes that you could go down. I mean, you could, uh, if you went to a certain area of the map, you could get a, a laser gun and you got like, uh, you know, the the Star Trek. I think it was yep. was it the Galileo that had crashed or something like that, and you got to see some of that. That sounds right. <laughs> and, 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 and I get it. 
I get it that as far as Bethesda games, though, they kind of want you to go down that side quest rabbit hole, and that's that's the way they want you to play their yeah. game. Yeah, and that wasn't. I mean, it, it just wasn't the way I wanted to play. I wanted I wanted a a full enriching story. I didn't want to have to go out and yeah. kind of find my own story and piece things together in that respect, the way they have it, the way they have it arranged. So. Yeah. Yeah, and and you raise a good point on user experience. If you want to, <clears throat> if you want to play the game your way, you shouldn't have to get shoehorned into doing other stuff to to enjoy and get the most out of it. So no, no, no you raise a good point there. Um, so yeah, what they they're fine games. They're well made. They just yeah, I yeah, I I loved. I didn't even finish Fallout Three. I got about probably about. Two, no, probably about a quarter of the way through, and then life got in the way, and I I stopped playing, and now yeah. I don't have a PS3 anymore, so I'd have to get a different copy of it. To, or I'm not sure if there one that that one ported over if you had the original. It's on PS3 Xbox disc. 360. Um, I have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I had I got the PS3 before I got an Xbox 360. You can and, find it for like ten bucks. <laughs> oh God! See now, there's another like two weeks of my life I would lose going back through that. Oh God! And you have to get the DLC. Yeah, I know. Because, and, because the, the the ending of the original game is so dissatisfying because it kind of ends, but not really. Well, it it ends because <laughs> of the fact that you've got a there's a reactor leak and you have to go turn it off. Yep. Which will kill you. Oh, because the radiation sure. is too severe. Now or you don't turn it off, which will kill everybody else. Kill everyone else. Now the annoying <laughs> thing is that there's a companion you can get who's a super mutant who is not affected by radiation. Oh so yeah, I got him. You just think, oh, I'll just send Fox in there, and Fox can turn it off because he won't die from the radiation. But what does he say when you say, hey, you should do this? He says, no, no. It's your turn to be a hero. I'm like, I've been a hero the whole damn time. <laughs> this is me being a hero, telling you to do this thing, bro. A hero, a hero is not someone who throws their life away needlessly when there's someone else's. Oh yeah, I'll just, you know, you're wearing a bulletproof vest, but you know what? I'll stand in front of you so the bullets can hit me instead. What? No. My, fo- my fox didn't even make it that far. He died in the raid outside of the Jefferson Memorial while everybody was trying to get in and. Was the, the the big giant robot was walking around. Oh yeah, <laughs> he got killed <laughs> there. That was very sad. He's kind of a cool character. Uh, well, getting back to this, the auto uh, uh automatron DLC for Fallout Four, it's an opportunity for you to kind of have an extension of building things in the wasteland. That's really kind of what some of the core focus and some of the the new gameplay before you played the game you experienced the the wasteland and traveled in it but you didn't really get to build anything so in Fallout 4 you get the opportunity to build your own base of operations work on um, uh, gathering people for a village that you create and uh, you know try to build that up. So there's a lot of building. It's and basically as, Sim City. Yeah. It well. Yeah. 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 It is. Oh, you you, you cheated it just a little bit for me. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> and no disrespect to Sim City. Um, but this extension, the Automatron, you get a chance to build your own robot, and you can actually have it battle. 
uh, other folks if you do like a, a multiplayer. So uh, that's really kind of interesting. Um, I can just see the uh, the underground robot fighting rings start out from this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that making me think of um, oh my god. Um, Was it real steel? No. Nah, robots. That and uh, oh my god. Robot jocks. Guild show. No, it's not. It's the Disney, not the Pixar. Um, just came out with. Uh, Big Hero Six. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. Uh, in, in the beginning, there's like a kind of uh, back alley robot fighting uh, <laughs> thing, um, which that kind of popped into my head. So. Hashtag Robot Lives Matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. The struggle is real. Uh, so Bethesda, you know, created this system so that. If you have certain skills and abilities for building and uh, some of the other skill trees that you can climb up, you can actually build robots and build more advanced robots or robots with different skills and things like that. And that was really kind of cool. So uh, this is a review from uh, – this is Kotaku, and the reviewer is uh, Patricia Hernandez. Uh the world of Fallout is brimming with amazing characters, and Fallout 4's first DLC has now added one more great character to the list. Automatron is a curious beast. The bulk of what you'll play is standard Fallout 4. There are two dungeons, uh, both of which are rather straightforward, if not a little boring in their design. The most interesting aspect of the spaces you explore is that they are infested with robots. The more robots you kill, the more parts you pick up, and the more robots you can build back in your settlements. Uh, this is where Bethesda seemed to put most of its effort, efforts in giving the player a buffet of robotic options, from death machines to sexy companions. Anything you can think of. See, now, now we're taking like the Cherry 2000 route there. That's kind of creepy. Nightmare fuel. <laughs> Uh, you could probably build. Uh, it's a yeah, cool idea. What you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Robots creep me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and there's no shame in that whatsoever. Uh, I'm sure some players will get a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, Patri uh, Patricia says that she didn't because the primary thing your mechs can do is kill other things. And as you know, uh, she's pretty over Fallout 4's intense focus on action. Uh, I have no desire to build a cool robot and go out into the wasteland I've already explored, and the DLC itself is only a few hours long. Still, I'm glad I played Automatron because it meant I got to know the truth about the Mechanist, and the Mechanist is now one of my favorite characters in Fallout 4. I clipped the article off here because beyond this was spoilers, and... Uh, I'm really hoping, and I didn't want to read any more on it either because I am going to be playing this and I definitely want to get this DLC. Um, it's, uh, what is it, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, what is it, Old Old World Blues or Old... Damn. It was a DLC where uh, you, you were kind of kidnapped and you were cut apart, essentially. Yep. And you had to... And you're put into a robot body. And you have to do this, uh, these tasks for these 
basically these scientists who turn themselves into brains in, in jars, essentially, and do some things to fix some problems that have come up, and then you can put yourself back together and, and, and amble back on into the wasteland. But the voice cast that they got to do that, uh, they got uh, Maurice LaMarche to do some uh, do a voice, um, uh, Jackson Public, uh, he's the one that, no, um, Urbanic, the guy who does the voice for uh, Dr. Venture. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a couple other, like, professional voice actors to do it, and it's just beautiful. If you, if you get a chance, look for the YouTube video of, I want to I say it's Old World Blues. From New I believe Vegas. that's what it's called. Yeah, Old World Blues. And... Um, I almost I almost dropped the ten bucks on Steam to get New Vegas and then was gonna buy Old World Blues as the DLC add-on for like five bucks uh, just to go through it. So if you want to extend your gameplay and do some interesting things, the DLCs that Bethesda usually comes up with for for their games are usually really good and it, it's kind of cool to know that uh, they haven't slouched on Automatron so. I'm kind of kind of interested in giving that a whirl, and then building robots. I mean, come on. Um, so there you have it. Uh, we're gonna have the link to the rest of the article in the show notes, and this is on. But just if you're gonna if you're gonna search this out on your own, it's on Kotaku.com, and the name of the article is Fallout 4's Robot DLC is worth playing just to meet the mechanist. Hauntings, sky sounds, parallel universes, monster sightings, the New World Order, ghost ships, urban legends, mysterious radio broadcasts, and secret government facilities are just a few things we've talked about on Weird World Weekly. Listen to find out what's next. Go to gncasts.com slash weird to listen, find out more, and subscribe to the podcast that discusses the paranormal, mythological, conspiratorial, unexplained, or anything else we think is a little strange and out of the ordinary. Also, Matt's continuing search for turkey recipes. It's all on Weird World Weekly, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, hey, Kickstarter Spotlight. Last time we talked about Lil' Cthulhu, and that was one that you brought to the table, Glenn, so... That was... Uh, what's little, that all about? It's the quirky little card game about losing saying that you can't win, mostly. You have to, uh, basically you're a cultist, and you have to take care of Cthulhu's baby. <laughs> who will throw tantrums and make you go insane. And the only way to appease him is to give him evil toys. Um, they were looking for $23,800. They have hit their goal with 26585 with five days left to go. Um... Getting into the game, it's twenty-five bucks. Uh, you get a copy of the card game. It comes with quite a bit. I mean, you have one hundred and twenty-six cards, so along with sanity tokens, twenty-five bucks. You get a, a pretty decent amount. Uh, they have not reached. Well, they reached one stretch goal, which is basically just paying for the game. Uh, if they can get the thirty thousand, uh, they're going to change the box. I don't think they're going to get much beyond that, but. That's Little Cthulhu. Sorry, Lil Cthulhu, not Little. Lil. 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 
It's like Lil Wayne. Yes. It's not it's little. Not Lil Wayne. It's Lil. Lil yeah. Wayne, Lil John. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. uh, it's a lot of Lils in there. I have... uh, kind of odd sidebar tangent. I was playing Final Fantasy XI way back when, and there was a whole uh, link shell of Tarus with Lil something or other. <laughs> All named Lil something. They were great. <laughs> uh, wow. I, and and I, I, Glenn and I are both like H.P. Lovecraft uh, fans, so I I didn't quite. Did you back this one, Glenn? Not yet, but it's set for my reminder to remind me of the twenty-four hour point. In which case, I will. Yeah, I I, I was, I'm torn, and I, I may or may not. It, it's cool that they've got things set up so that it is EU friendly. Uh, so they will have uh, the cost uh, for shipping is not going to be increased because they're going to have uh, kind of a, a foothold in the EU and uh, it's not going to cost you that much more to get it shipped to you. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we are going to talk about a new game called Unbound RPG. Now... This is from Tabletop Games in London, UK, and this is a... We talked with uh, Chris Tregenza uh, for 66 games, and it's a universal system, and this is as well. Uh, it will allow you to do things like, like GURPS, uh, for those of you who have played GURPS. It's, it's a universal rule set, so you can do some interesting things like, well, not unlike Mistrunner, for that matter. You have steampunk, you have fantasy, you have a number of different genres that you can put together. So, uh, let me read you a little of the write-up here for this. Uh... The game we have written is called Unbound, and it is stellar. Here's why. It's a universal game. And before you say, oh, we don't need another universal game, let me say, no, you don't. You need this one. And it runs uh, anything so long as it's got uh, fights in it, and all the best stories have fights in them, so there. Want to tell a story about a corrupt cyberpunk police officers in overclocked power armor? You can do that. Princesses riding spellbound unicorns? Yep. As, as long as you let us play, too. Captains in charge of elite military units taking back a fractured city? Block by bloody block. Uh, so you have a, a lot of different things that you can do with this universal rule system. Uh, it intrigued me. I, I just like the concept of having a universal game system, and that's why I brought this one to the table. Being able to dream up whatever you want to as a game master and let people play in that world but have an open rule set so that you can do it with relative ease is is very appealing. Uh, their goal is $31,792. Now, this is adjusted uh, from... Their, this is pounds, obviously, because it's from London, UK. So... Uh, I'm going to give you some, some little converted uh, bits here. Uh, in pounds, it's 
let's see, they have a 22,000 pound goal. That's why the number seems very weirdly specific. But in uh, in pounds, it's 22,000. So right now they're at 12,287 pounds, which is equivalent to 17,756. There's 25 days to go on this particular campaign, so things are looking very good uh, that they will hit this goal. Now there are a number of levels that you can back at, but the one that you probably want to back at is 25 pounds or $36. Uh, that gets you the full PDF, all the stretch goals, and the full-color paperback edition of the game. Now, you could do uh, the $29, which gets you just the PDF and the softback, but the cool thing about going at the $36 level is you get uh, access to director's commentary, which is intriguing to me. I have no idea what that is, probably more background into the game, uh, the creation of it and uh, and whatnot, but that just sounds kind of interesting. That I've never heard anybody do that for uh, a Kickstarter before. So things are looking good on this, and it's relatively inexpensive to get you in the door on a universal rule system. So Michael, you yes. are uh, you're big into D and D as we've kind of discussed. Mm -hmm. I know that you are from the trivia game that I was in on Trivia Geeks, uh, you are definitely into Pathfinder. No. Oh, you're not? No. I totally misremembered that. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't paying attention. Well, uh, ha uh, Hammond and I did not win, so uh, I must not have been... I didn't bring my A game there, obviously, and I must not have been paying attention to that specific fact. No, it's, uh, it's fine. Uh, so D and D, what other game systems have you or do you play in? Um, currently, it's it's just uh, D and D, primarily fifth edition. Um, before that, it was three five because anything in fourth edition is complete and total crap, in my opinion. Um, I've also played. It's been a long time, but I've I've played with GURPS uh, a couple times, but this was okay. like fifteen years ago. Sure. Um, and I forgot what system Big Eye Small Mouth is, um, but it's their their TriStat system, whatever that's called. Hmm. Um, which uh, it's it's been about fifteen years since I've played with that too. Um, but yeah, primarily D and D Fifth Edition because it's it's really easy to pick up. It's as easy as three five edition was, just to at least pick up. Um, and it does streamline a lot of the more menial character creation um, in that respect too, which is what they were trying to do with 4th edition and kind of failed by making the characters too narrow. Yeah, that's that's kind of what what we've heard too. And yeah, I, Glenn and I were 2nd edition, hmm. 3 Three five. Did you do three, Glenn? I have played every edition ever made. Well, there you go. You are far so, better than I, sir. Yeah, there, there's so, not a whole lot of difference between three I, and three five. I had the in and that I had a father who worked for a book bindery that printed the books. That's right. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Third so, third edition was my was my first jump into it. Okay. Okay. Um. 
I have an old um, second edition um, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons folio sitting around here somewhere. <laughs> That I picked up from somebody who has, oh, hey, I have this Dungeons and Dragons thing in my garage. You want it? Okay, sure. <laughs> That's always cool to stumble across and have that for your collection. Yeah, I've got some, some of my kidnapped. old stuff. Some people get kidnapped, you know. Actually, it, may be, it may be first. For you. It may be first edition. Hey, up in my van, I have some dice. Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it's a whole adventure module. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Uh, Dungeon that's, Land. Yep. <laughs> that's some of the old second edition... Uh, oh, those second edition modules were something else. Uh, Facco's the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, not going to lie. That part of having to... Uh, having a smaller Faco into negative numbers was mm-hmm. far better than a larger one, which... Yep. You know, playing Pathfinder, which is essentially three five D and D. Obviously, now they've they've done away with that, so it's all the higher the number, the better it is. Uh, yeah, Thaco. You, you try to explain Thaco to somebody who uh, has never seen Second Edition, and they've played like Fifth Edition or something like that. They look at you like you're absolutely yeah. Uh, it's it's backwards from what yeah. you would expect. Absolutely, oh, yeah. and then hey, Armor Class at negative seven. That sounds awful. No, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then trying to do the math and comparing that to somebody else and then rolling your dice against it and uh, the level of math that yep. you had to do was just, it was it was atrocious, not going to mm-hmm. lie. Um, but uh, to me, you know, and that, but that's where I, I cut my teeth on second edition. So like the, the artwork of especially Larry Elmore, if I ever see that, that really just kind of takes me back to, to, to D&D second edition. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things. I, I'm not, I don't think I've seen a whole lot of uh, artist folios or, or books that have come out from artists that have done like fifth edition. Um, um, as, as far as fifth edition content in print that I've seen, uh, your three core books. Um, there's the Temple of Elemental Evil and the the Tiamat one. <clears throat> That's well, also uh, uh, that I've seen. Out of the Abyss and the newest one is Curse of Strahd. So you need to go back into Ravenloft. <sighs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're bringing... A few old things back, so which I might start running via Hangout or Skype, Brad. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm gonna have like zero, like negative free time here pretty quick. God, our, would, our our last yeah. jump in the Ravenloft, we had somebody who created a vassal of Bahamut, um, <laughs> which was a ridiculously stupid broken class, and it ended up being actually just a dumb class on top of it being broken, so. So he killed his character, assumed his dragon mount as a character, except it was a gold dragon, and it, we had a lot of problems with a gold dragon running around mm. in Ravenloft. <laughs> or in, uh, yeah, in Ravenloft. <laughs> oh, that actually hurt my head. Just this bright beacon of goodness, everyone yeah. was, attracted, was attracted to it. We had one character that was um, technically so evil. We got we 
off to one of the Lords of Ravenloft, and he just assumed control over that realm. <laughs> oh, that is insane. Absolutely. To the insane. point where as he walked around, he would just attract followers. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that was one of the creepy things about about Ravenloft is and uh they they t- touch on it in in James's book The Night of the Black Rose where he was just so evil that it just like a realm his section of land in Ravenloft just kind of slowly started to appear around him. Yep. That's kind of what that's kind of what we did. Like yeah. he, he put all of his points into charisma and got um <laughs> I don't remember what what feat it was. But it was the, the the feat that just it literally it just allows you to attract followers as you as you move about through the countryside, and um, that's <laughs> that's what it did. The uh, the dragon would be the beacon to bring all the evil, and then all of a sudden they would see this or uh, they would see this greater evil there near this dragon and be like, I will follow you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is insane. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, universal systems. So you mentioned GURPS. You as a as a game master, uh, and I know that you've already mentioned D and D is more of your your jam. Does a universal system appeal to you in in concept? I mean, it depends. Um, I guess on the system. It's been a long time since I've messed with GURPS. So I I couldn't even remember how how that even works now. Um, there was one other smaller game uh, <clears throat> book that I had found called Feng Shui. And oh, yeah. the whole idea behind Feng Shui was that you were a um, a combat action movie star. Okay. Uh, well, it was not, not a movie star. It was based around, it was based around the idea of, uh, of like Kung Fu action movies. Um, and how you were to arrange your gameplay and decide what you were doing. And it was only based around uh, 2D6. Um, and it did uh, a, a good job building a game around 2D6, from the way I remember it at least. Um, so there's, there is something to say about some of the, some of the more simpler um, styles as well. You know, you start getting into crazier stuff like, um, was it Rifts? Yeah. Where you had like ten page long character sheets, <laughs> that was. I think it's a little bit obsessive there. Yeah, a little bit. It it most certainly can. Um, yeah, I'd, I, 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 w- I would kind of be interested in in checking this out and seeing more about the about the ability to to do more universal and and crazier things. Uh, Glenn. Yeah. Universal systems. I hate them. No, that's not true. I like them a lot. <laughs> I actually just picked up uh, Fate. Oh, okay. There you go. Fate uh, core book. So, yep. um, I like them um, if they're done right. It's sometimes they think they've got a great thing that can be done that you can do anything with, but then some things fall apart. Um, because if you're going to make something that can work with robots as well as wizards... Um, it can be a yeah. tricky balance. Yeah. Oh, D20 Modern. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I like them, but most of the time when I've played them, there's always been some level of tinkering that has gone on with the rules, some level of house ruling on certain stuff. Okay. Because, just, I mean, as much as you want to have a universal system, you can't actually cover ever, everything. 
Okay. Trying to um, trying to build some core mechanics for uh, like a Final Fantasy based um, D twenty gameplay system. I kind of discovered how how difficult it can be to to manage some of those concepts of of fantasy plus modern. You know, trying to put that into the same area. Um, sure. Most difficult character uh, that I was trying to build was the Red Mage. Which they're, you know, very classically just your um, very large web support character. Um, and I decided to build it off of uh, off of like a gun mage, which so that their whole concept is to um, be able to uh, attach their spells to their ammunition um, and fire that through a gun and you know so on and so forth. And the the, the poor class ended up becoming so broken. And it was um, just work to have to rebuild it and nerf some uh, nerf some concepts about it so that it wouldn't get too overpowered. And then it got to a point where I was like, "Well, this class is just going to have to be overpowered. Screw it." <laughs> <laughs> Make it an NPC class, and you're done. But it was so much fun to, to play with, though. Having <clears throat> having tried to build a red mage, there's um there's a uh, Expansion, oh, I guess not expansion, I don't know. Um, a D20 Modern um, set out there called uh, Iron Kingdoms um, that tried oh, yeah. to work with some of that more steampunk ideas. And um, one of the one of the things that they had in there that I thought was really neat was uh, this ore called Magelock, which was the uh, explanation on how to focus spells through objects like weaponry and them not be uh, susceptible to any um, any heart or any damage. Hmm. Um, and considering you know a, a sword has its own you know hardness rating, and as you as you focus spells through it, it's it's gonna just deteriorate. Sure. So they made up mage lock, negates all of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, yeah, that sounds like a overpowered concept. That, that was part of the problem with the overpowered concept. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, caveat emptor, uh, buyer beware. Uh, if you if you want to do a, a universal system, you know we like we talked about sixty six. We talked with Chris Trigenza, gosh, probably about two months ago now, um, or uh, Unbound for that matter. You you might end up having to play around with a couple of things here and there, but um, who knows that that may that may work for you. You might be kind of a I don't want to say rules lawyery kind of person, but a person who enjoys constructing and deconstructing the mechanics of a system. <clears throat> of oh, yeah, you'll, you'll always find a way to break it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, if you dig it, back it. If not, uh, that's okay too. All right, now we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this whole reason why we're here, and that's we're going to talk with uh, Michael Johnson here about online RPG gaming resources Mm -hmm. uh, to have an accessible place to kind of get, upload, um, and update other players, maybe people who maybe missed a session so they could take a look at the adventure journal and see what happened in the session. And uh, like I said in the beginning of the show, you mentioned that you use uh, Obsidian Portal, and there are other uh, services out there, like I was looking at possibly doing Roll20, 
uh, for a game that I was going to run, or I know that there's Epic Words, and I'm sure that there's other things out there too. I guess some of the questions that I want to ask, one of them is what what drew you to Obsidian Portal? Um, the first thing that drew me to Obsidian Portal was um, essentially its ability to be able to um, manage the resources that I was that I was trying to use and try to keep down, keep together. Um, I had started out working with a um, a WordPress installation that I had built and was trying to use that to, as far as my resource management, you know, writing down my characters and and um, artifacts and lore and things like that. And it worked good for some of the things, but not everything. The problem I always faced was being able to link things. And so I was like, oh, wait, Wiki can do that. So I started working with the Wiki and had, had to spend the time to transfer everything over to a Wiki. But the problem I found with a Wiki is that it's difficult to create a, a sort of blog posting space with a wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't give you. It's not. It's not quite made for that purpose. It's literally more for um, research. Write down your articles. Link them to other articles. It's the best for that. Um, so, I tried to build myself a workaround to use both. I could never get anything how I wanted it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So in in the the time frame I was looking to try to put things together, so it, it's gone through many iterations of how I've how I've had my information organized. It's been through you know a series of Google Docs. It's been on um, just, you know pen and paper, all kinds of things, and then I kind of stumbled upon Obsidian Portal and started looking at it, and I was like, this is it gives me a place to post things for updates, like in the adventure log. I can just write straight articles. Um, I can um, link things through uh, a wiki format and still use wiki code um, to maneuver to maneuver everything about. And um, its abilities to uh, to handle like uh, event management, uh, send out invites for events, things like that. It's it's a great utility for for that aspect. The one thing that it doesn't have, which I, if I remember right, what Roll20 does is just to be able to gather everyone in a space like Google Hangouts or something like that. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, if Roll20 and Obsidian Portal got together and worked on something you know, as a collaboration, they would own the market. <laughs> that would be yeah. one thing for sure. Um, but uh, I haven't gotten the chance to use Roll20, so I'm don't really know how all the details behind it work. Yeah, and I just I, I got as far as creating an account and just trying to get a, a feel of, of the of the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, what I want to do is I'm going to do a, a screen share here. Sure. And this is this is just a basic thing that I put together. Do I have permission to to go to your site uh, link that you shared with me? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Please, by all means. This, so what I want to do is kind of a, a before and after sort of a thing. This mm-hmm. is something that <clears throat> uh, a game that I worked on a while back and I'm looking to resurrect, and essentially it's using uh, White Wolf's uh, Hunters Hunted, using the 
second edition vampire rules for all intents and purposes, uh, and using the uh, Onyx Path updated Hunter's Hunted book uh, for uh, the core uh, equipment and things like that. And <clears throat> for those of you who haven't heard this before, Dirgewood was a kind of a dual time frame. Uh, the players are building the history of this uh, organization called uh, Sentinel, where back in the late 1800s, this group got together and experienced some supernatural things. And in current day, this is a continuation, and the characters that they're playing in current day are actually the descendants of the characters that they're playing in the, in the other realm, or the other time period. So it's kind of a dual time period game system, or a game setting. Okay. So uh, that's and and what you're seeing here, if you're watching us on on YouTube, is the layout of Onyx Path for you as a person who is creating uh, your uh, Obsidian Portal page for your game. Now it gives you a kind of a custom URL. You can see here it's dirgewood.com slash obsidianportal.com. And this is my dashboard. So this is the setup for me to actually create the campaign. I can create a calendar here to schedule events and alert people who are a part of my gaming group. And right now it's it's just me. You can see off on the right-hand side. Uh, there's an adventure log here, which is essentially you're blogging and writing about what happened in each of the different... Uh, campaigns or the, the 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 games that you played. Uh, you have the ability to put your characters in here. I'm assuming that's can you you can load the the character sheets as well, Michael. Is that right? To, to some degree, um, okay. the character sheet manager um, it 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 will depend on um, what system you're using because it has a, a kind of an ability to to support. A bunch of different uh, gaming types. Okay. Um, the character sheet uh, template that they have available for fifth edition isn't all that great. Okay. Um, so I've been kind of working around that by using um, oh boy, what's it called? Um, orc something or something orc. I have it pulled up on my laptop upstairs. I don't remember okay. the name of it. Um, but there, but there's an, a, another resource I use out there to kind of help me arrange character sheets and I just move that information over um, over to uh, my obsidian portal and it works out really great um, but yeah it they, they do it does depend on what system you're using and it gives you the options in your dashboard to be like you know what games or what game system are you using you know D&D fifth fourth edition third edition and so on and so forth okay cool um, the other thing, too, is you have the ability to add maps to this as well. Uh, it's probably not going to be like Rule 20, where in Rule 20 you can upload your map and then kind of do a, a fog of war and have representation of people moving through the map. But I'm going to assume that this is just, here's the map. You can... Um... <clears throat> The way that I understand it works is I only have one map in so far. I have one okay. map, and it shows you um, like a world map in the style of kind of a, of a Google map. Okay. And it's it's kind of interesting. It's um. Well, actually, let's it, uh, jump over. Be better. Um, I sent you a character invite. Should give you a little bit more access to some of the things in there. Okay. Okay. Cool. But yeah. Um, 
as you uh that's really kind of cool with this okay yeah so it, so I'm assuming that any of the maps kind of give you that um that same you know Google Maps style interface sure and it, it's it's interesting um you can um you can set up map markers which that, I was just kind of playing around with the map markers there so d don't mind the one that's sitting there <laughs> no that's fine uh, but it, it's it's pretty interesting how 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 much potential there is um, to where they're going and even how much you can do still with it. So, sure. Now this is a really really kind of cool concept, especially being able to drop in markers, which uh, especially if you're doing this digitally and if you've got players that are somewhere else, you know, mm -hmm. another part of the country or whatever. Um, to have that kind of, you can look at the same place at the same time on a map and have those you, markers do that. So you click on that marker. It should bring up um, just a, it's a, a city name. Um, yep. You click on that, it'll take you right to that uh, that wiki article for that city. Oh, okay, sure. There it is, and we are here, and that gives us yeah. This is the the uh, kind of a close up JPEG. Again, for mm -hmm. those of you that are listening to the audio version of this, I really recommend you uh, take a look at youtube.com slash galactic netcasts and actually take a look at the video on this because this is going to be really, really informative. Uh, so we've got a, a more of a blow-up look of uh, your city here. And you've got, I like that you've got the little bit of the, the population size for the city here. And yeah, more sure. details about it. And uh, this would also, you've got some, some keywords here, and you can actually click on the word cities as a tag, and you can see some of the other cities uh, within, your, within your map, within your land that you've created here. Yeah, tag, tag organization becomes really the, the biggest thing about, um, <clears throat> about Obsidian Portal and working your links through tag organization. Um, it's kind of the, the bread and butter of how to keep things, <laughs> keep things together and not let them get away from you. Um, sometimes every now and then, like you see over here where, it had, where you have two for Paladin, um, it's, it's case sensitive. So if you forget oh, sure. yep. which one you set up, um, it'll, it'll, it'll do that from time to time. And you know, every now and then I have to go back through and kind of clean out all my tags I'm not supposed to have. Yep. As, yep. I'm supposed to be one or the other. But again, that also kind of brings... Uh, brings up another question that I had is you as the game master really had the keys to this whole setup here. Mm -hmm. So how much time would you say that you dedicate to you know cleaning up tags, making sure you have your your journal updated? How much how much does that uh, time does that take for you to to keep that up and running and and going on a consistent basis? Oh, far less than I should spend. Um. <laughs> Because if you well, check up, if you check out the adventure log, um, <laughs> you'll 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 note that it's 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 kind of not <laughs> it's oh, okay. in some parts, um, uh, yeah. and there's actually a whole lot of notes on that particular um, on that particular item on the parable of the eight queens. Mm -hmm. um, you can't see them because there's a whole GM section. Oh sure, okay. Um, that when you're in edit mode, uh, well not even in edit mode, but when uh, as as a GM, um, you can see um, all the the edit notes there. Um, if, oh, and sure. Actually, yeah. if you accept those invites, I can make you a uh, a code GM. Uh, um, I think that I did. 
It's... Yep, I've my inbox looks clear. I did accept one that you sent. Okay. Let me just see so. if I need to dashboard settings. Players, there you are. Yep, promote to GM. Promote, yes. Boom. Okay. Now, if you, there we go. Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a whole lot more information that you, as a GM, and have, if you have co GMs, um, can add on to there uh, sure. and see that. Um, and so that it gives you a little bit more insight as to, um, you know, where to direct the the players if need be, or what other things that that you may need to um, have in your head on where they may or may not uh, be involved with, or potential side quests, or mm -hmm. yeah, okay, no, that that's a great and and mechanic I hadn't even thought of, but yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. So, so it's it's proven the 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 GM only notes have proven to be more. <laughs> more useful to me so far than having to, you know, write down what they've been doing for um, for their uh, for their game time. And uh, main reason why I've been slacking on that is just it's it's um you know trying to keep everything, trying to remember everything, and and it should be really like audio recording it, and that would really help out the most. You can even add audio and video to um the to the Obsidian portal. Uh, logs, and I think to some level the wiki pages as well. Oh, okay. Um, but there, there are some media assets that you can add um, and sprinkle around within uh, within the system. Okay, and uh, I kind of jump back to the the the, the site that <clears throat> sorry the mm -hmm. portal that I've created for for mine, mm -hmm. and just so that people can kind of see some of that back end stuff. I didn't want to show off more of your stuff in case you know any of your players were to watch that and jump in to see some notes or things that they shouldn't see. So we'll just take a look at mine. Um, sure. <clears throat> now we do have you know you've got the basic settings here, um, campaign status. Uh, right now I'm just planning, but you can set this up. Uh, this is also, and, and that's the other thing to really kind of talk about too, if you are a GM and you don't care about a face-to-face -face experience, you can actually use Obsidian Portal to actually recruit people online to play. If, mm -hmm. so, and that, that that's kind of cool too. Now, if you wanted to just have this be friends or private, and again, if you're looking at the YouTube video, you can see this, you would have to upgrade to their $5 a month ascendant um, category, and then you can make things private <clears throat> to just your players, which I would probably end up doing. Uh, as yeah, the only, and the oh, main reason I have mine set set to public um, is that I mean I, I like I like the idea of you know other people maybe stumbling upon <clears throat> uh, this this world that you know I'm building. Um, with the characters, and maybe they see something they like out of it and want to use pieces of it and things like that. Um, whether it's you know a map or some rando little story element that that works out. So I like to, I usually end up keeping mine public for that. Right now I have one in a planning private stage that I'm working on because I don't want anybody to look at it yet. But that's the the Final Fantasy one that I'm trying to figure out how to build. <laughs> oh sure, yep. <clears throat> so, uh, kind of in keeping with that, uh, you can put in, you know, your tagline. You can also put in the game system, 
which if people if you do have this public then people can see what and I'm assuming for search purposes as well they can see if you know if people think white wolf is a great system they can you know get on board with that if they think it sucks they'll just move on so I'm going to save I'd, that I'd thought that um it would actually give you options within the game system on things you can choose but I guess maybe not yeah I clicked into it and it's not giving me any modals or anything like and, that. It might it might be an ascendant thing. Oh, okay. Okay. And I haven't I haven't made the final decision to upgrade, but I'm really leaning towards it now the more I've been looking at this. Yeah, I mean if you if you end up using it a lot for um I mean it, it's it's for the very least just keep your notes down in one spot. Sure. Um it it makes it much more worthwhile cuz I think it comes out to like 30 bucks a year. Yeah, yep. Um, and that's is, pretty darn cheap. Yeah, and you can pay it like annually or monthly, but it's a lot cheaper to play, pay it annually. And it's, you know, 30 bucks for a whole year is not bad at all. You pay it yep. once and done. Um, but yeah, it, it makes it much more worth it to have that ability. And you can change, you know, a lot of these customizations that you're looking through right now. Um, you have a lot more available to you on Ascendant, um, on the Ascendant uh, tier. Yep. Um, and just so more. people are kind of, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, just so people are kind of on the same page, if you're checking us out on YouTube, uh, you do have the ability to change the background of the game uh, or of the portal, uh, to be clear. Uh, why is that important? Especially if you are a, if you have your game set to public, people can kind of look at, you know, if I were to click uh, Apocalyptic City, people would have a, a, a relatively good clue that maybe it's, post-apocalyptic, uh, maybe it's urban fantasy, uh, this could be a, a vampire game, you know, uh, something like that. It, it kind of helps set the mood and the tone to give mm -hmm. people a better idea of what that game system or the game campaign that you're playing is about. Real quick, um, I messed up on my, on my um, generously giving you GM powers and Ascendant's supposed to be able to support multiple GMs mm -hmm. and it looks like I gave away my powers to you. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let me... Yeah, it's players. Let me give that back to you here. Real quick. And promote to GM. <laughs> I almost clicked. Oh, there like it is. Player. I, I met because I clicked on the wrong one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> There you so go, now it's back. You're back in the driver's seat. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that scared you for a second. Um, Wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> here, check this out. I'm not giving it back to you. No, I, I, I was not reading the co-GM button. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, excuse me. Gosh, I'm, all of a sudden my throat's all <clears throat> freaking out here. Um, especially with you being a web developer designer, what are some things, we've talked about some of the great things about Obsidian Portal. For this particular one, what are some things that you as a designer developer would look at and go, oh, you know, they should really add this, or, you know, this user interface isn't, it could, they should do maybe this instead. What are some of the cons, I guess, uh, of Obsidian? Well, the UI is, is really good. Um, you know, their, their calendar system works pretty well. Uh, you can set up uh, events and send those out to your players, and I think they they can sign up to like an email address, so it'll email them. 
-hmm. whenever there's an, an event expected to come up. So that works out really well as far as being able to, to keep in contact with um, with your players through Obsidian Portal. The one thing, the only thing that 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 gets me about Obsidian Portal that I wish was better would be the ability to um, set up templates for page types. Um, or Well, not even necessarily page types, but for, say, um, uh, character sheets. Because I there's no way that um, I can set up a, a template for a character sheet. I can use one of the pre... Um, pre-built templates that they have for character sheet setups and they have some sort of system where you can make one and then it has to go through a submission process and honestly who knows how long that takes and I don't have the time to, to deal with that yeah and that, that's kind of the drawback there um, that I can't have my own personalized you know I wanted I want to use this setup to to display a visual character sheet for um, for a character and use that sure. Um, outside of that, I mean, it's um, for I mean, at least for what I need it for, it's it's pretty flawless. Okay, well, that's that's really good to know because um, I'm I work in web development, more troubleshooting at HTML, CSS. Um, our company uses uh, Python on the back end and Django for templating. I'm sorry, I, let's switch that. <laughs> <laughs> Python on the back. I got it. Django for templating. Um, yeah, Django is your uh, your your front end. Uh, uh, what you call it? System. Um, Bounty hunter. <laughs> <laughs> your um, oh boy, like like jQuery. It's a or Drupal a, or yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I for completely forgot yeah, the name of what that's I, called. But. I know. I had the word for just a second to help you out. But uh, yeah, it's just your good. platform that uses that code base. Yep. Um, let's see. Do you have you have group chat open? Yes. Okay. There you go. Uh, if you check out that link, uh, no, not that link. Um, oh yeah, no. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. There's two links there. I got confused myself. Um, that link. So Celestine Cavanaugh. Um, that was the rough quote, rough template <laughs> that I used for building out my characters now. Uh, okay. Because it keeps the information in a in a, a concise enough manner that's understandable for the characters and um, sort of the, the back end on that uh, has like that little table set up for, for the stat block. Okay. Um, and borrowed pieces of that while reverse engineering, and it's called OrcPub, um, which is a pretty, um, a pretty good 5th edition character builder um, that you can use to sort of uh, flesh out using their little, um, little online uh, character sheet setup. And it'll it'll print you out uh, a PDF with all your stats on it that you set up on there, or oh, it'll nice. print you out a uh, a um, kind of HTML view that sort of looks like what you're seeing here with with Celestine. Um, and you can even um, I think I don't think they have a login system yet, but you can save your characters as kind of a sort of a, a session. So as long as you don't like clear your cache or anything like that, you can get back to them. Okay. Um, and it has a few other utilities on OrcPub that are that are pretty interesting to look at. So it, they're, um, I've liked 
using him to to um, arrange a character without having to to physically like write it out and even with rolling stats it sort of has a couple stat block uh, setups that you can go through like uh, roll 46 take the lowest one um, things like that sure okay okay mm. um, how long I guess did did you start doing harbingers of Ragnarok and then get into Obsidian Portal, or did you do Obsidian Portal and you went, oh, well, gosh, I, I want to do this Harbingers of Ragnarok. Which came first? Um, in, in its many names, Harbingers of Ragnarok has come first, and I've been working on that as a game for nearly 10 years now. Okay, okay. Um, you know, built it from scratch. Um, it's probably on its fourth world revision. Um, the overall map hasn't changed too much. Um, but some elements have been added, taken away, um, and only j more in the past three years I've been working with a um, the uh, Norse pantheon as okay. as the deity base because um, I, I I like the idea of sort of the world tree thing, yeah, um, and uh, the idea of how their planar system set up, but I'm trying to. I've been trying to set it up so that the planes don't exactly work how D&D &D sort of decides them. Um, like uh, Niflheim, for example, is um, uh, is not its own separate plane. It's more of just the Northlands of this world. Um, and so you have your your great creatures like the the Nidhogg who, who roams around Niflheim. And um, there's sort of an... Uh, not quite an undead presence there. I haven't quite figured out how to add them into the world that is interesting and hasn't just been redone over and over and over. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, on the map, if you if you caught that big purple uh, uh, line that went across part of the map, um, that is um, called the Ginnagap, and it's uh, that's another Norse word, just basically uh, an empty, infinite void. And that's really what it's supposed to be. Is that it's a, um, it's just a deep crevice canyon that goes into nothingness. Um, and the lore behind that is that it's literally it goes into nothingness. It doesn't even go into the world at that point. It's it's a it's, it's a, a portal to absolute nothingness. <laughs> oh wow! So it's like a like a dimensional rift of some it, sort. Essentially, yeah, it's a dimensional okay. rift. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and the and that that kind of takes part in sort of the there's these two um, opposing uh, uh, minerals that exist on the planet, um, and it's uh, uh, nifflesite and azurite. And azurite is a positively charged mineral, and nifflesite is a negatively charged mineral. And there's a lot more azurite than nifflesite that you could ever find in the world. Um, and they use uh, the uh, the world on the left continent. It's predominantly human, and they use a lot of the Azure site for technology, as far as airship building. Um, and there's you know rail and all sorts of you know gizmos and gadgets that are in your relative steampunk style. Uh, 
and nethocyte is kind of sort of a, an anomaly that someone you know may or may not run across and do crazy things that I haven't decided yet. <laughs> oh, okay, sure, sure. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, so of overall, it sounds like you're you're very high on Obsidian Portal as a way to organize your stuff and mm -hmm. keeping everybody informed of what's going on and having an overall uh, resource to um, uh, to just all be on the same page. And oh, right. you know, if, if they've got their smartphone on them, they can pull that stuff up as well. Mm -hmm. um, you did send OrcPub, and I just wanted to show that to folks here as well. And this is what Michael was talking about. You can create your fifth edition character here. Uh, looks like you can oh, have an image of your character, player name. All pretty straightforward. All yeah, pretty straightforward. The stats part is, the, is one of the really neat things because you can build a character really quickly with their stats. You don't have to work very hard to do it. Um, so if you go for like the rule variant um, and do, say, like 46... Um, I guess I don't have 46, do they? Well, point by is really good, too. But um, yes, point by is your standard 27 points. You can just fit them wherever you need to. Sure. But, yeah, you can you can make those really easily and just keep going through, and it'll set up a lot of things automatically for you with how 5th uh, edition works. And then, you know, you, you finish it up, and it gives you the page. It's like, here's your character. Go for it. Nice. Oh, there we go. So it'll it'll pre-fill a lot of things for you and help you out as you go through, which is nice. Yeah, and I'm notorious for Pathfinder for not having my stats quite right for my character. <laughs> I always when stats we, can be a difficult thing. I well, I'm I'm just I'm absolutely horrible, and I play with a group of people that. I'm not so bad that I can't keep rules in my head to the point where it's really annoying, but there are, like when I level up a character, I'll forget to roll my additional hit points for, for a level, or I'll forget to add <laughs> skill points, and I've got that reputation of being that guy, and nobody really likes that guy. Fifth edition, no more skill points. And, which, which uh, yeah. It's really weird to kind of wrap my head around how their skill system worked. Um, sure. That it took me a few weeks to to figure out what they were trying to do with that, and it's um, they're more so attaching the skills to your uh, to your core stats, which okay. kind of a benefit um, and kind of a drawback at the same time because it it goes back to allowing any character to be. Um, to use any stat, but the DM can also uh, make a um, uh, essentially make a variant rule to where if you're not proficient in it, then you are automatically at a disadvantage, which in fifth edition means you roll twice and you take the lowest of the two rolls. Oh, okay, yep. So that that's how they kind of mitigate that there. An advantage is. Essentially, the opposite. You roll twice; you take the highest of the two rolls. Oh, okay. So that was a pretty. It's a new, a new concept that they added for fifth edition that has actually um, <laughs> provided to be um, 
uh, proved to be more interesting than I thought it was going to be. So. Yeah, I you know when I first had heard that, I went that seems really kind of weird. But now as you explain it, that actually sounds just more streamlined and simplified. Right, um, and, it, and it's meant it's meant to work. What's what's that, Glenn? I love the advantage disadvantage. I like I like how that works a lot. Yeah, it works really well with the skills and how how they've simplified them now. Um, the skills simplified by themselves are are a nightmare without the advantage disadvantage system. Okay. Well, that's very cool. All right, so the it seems like the only cons that you you've really kind of found with Obsidian. Uh, portal it can be kind of filled in essentially with OrcPub uh, with the template as, issue. Right. As far as far as um, like stat blocks and character templating, that's that's really the biggest out of the way I use um, Obsidian Portal. At least that's the biggest drawback I've found. But you know I, I've found another um, another resource to help me out with that. So it's it's not so bad anymore. Sure. Um, now again, if uh, I I haven't had the chance to to use Roll D twenty and how it can, um, I guess give you a virtual tabletop. What I understand. Essentially, yeah, you can load your map in, and like I said earlier, you can kind of do a fog of war. You can actually have mm-hmm. representations of the characters. They can you know move their character. Uh, right. To say, right. Okay, I'm going to go over here. Okay. And. Uh, it's more on the. It seems to focus a little bit more on the interactive right. portion, and it's taking into. I think Obsidian Portal is more on the side of face-to-face gameplay, whereas Roll Twenty really kind of says, "Okay, you are playing with people that aren't even in the same room, probably not even the same city as you." Right. Um, and if if. You know, Roll D20 or Obsidian Portal adopted one of the other's um, systems, then literally they would just rule all <laughs> in that yeah. in that and respect. Which means they won't. Hey, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I know that Roll20 does have the ability for you to, you know, upload your character sheets and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I see that. Roll20... Also has uh, like a marketplace where people you can uh, say you're doing a a western setting. We'll go back to my Dirgewood thing. Um, mm-hmm. They have pre-made things where they have uh, characters. Basically, they're like uh, PNGs that you would be able to load in, and then you would be able to say, "Okay, my character looks like this, and I'm going to move the character over here." You yeah, maps and there. character yeah. sets and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's really more of their focus. While they do have some of the the stuff that Obsidian Portal has, I think that Obsidian Portal really shines more on the logging and um, more the I guess what you might consider more face to face aspects oh, yeah. of it, of organization. So, all right, well. Um, to wrap things up, if you uh, listeners uh, are looking for a system and a way to organize your uh, RPG gameplay, 
you know, finding a system like, you know, we've been talking a lot about Obsidian Portal, but that's mostly because that's where Michael's background, he knows the most about this. There are other things, you know, we talked about, we talked about Roll20 a bit, uh, Epic Words is out there, that exists, so there's, there's a number of different things that are out there to try to help you, the game master and players, come together and organize everything, get it in one place so you don't, and if Jerry's listening, damn it, Jerry, don't lose your character sheets. If you use a system like this, you load the character sheet in there, um, there it is, and you don't have to worry about... It, it does make it pretty on. easy. because the um, Your players in uh, Obsidian Portal can have some level of editing over their own uh, sure. their own page, too, which work, works out really well on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of advantages to using a system like this. So thank you very much, Michael, for, for talking to us about this. And um, Thank you for I, having me. I, I think that you've really kind of swayed me more towards using Obsidian Portal and then uh, because a lot of the people that I would be gaming with would not be in the same room as me, I would probably end up using just Google Hangouts to, to shore up that portion of it. So mm-hmm. no, I think that's a great way to go. So thank you for your insight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Uh, going to wrap things up here. Uh, you can find out more about our meetings, uh, the show notes for each meeting, contact info, and subscription links by going to gncasts.com slash adventure. Uh, you can find and follow us on Twitter or join our Facebook group page by using the Facebook search term Galactic Netcasts. Uh, you can also find all of our social media outlets by clicking on the links on our website, gncasts.com. You can find our YouTube channel where you can see the video versions of our Adventure Party meetings at youtube.com slash galacticnetcasts. If you're using a, I guess a podcatcher, well, no. Uh, Podcatcher is completely different. Uh, (laughs) If you're using a podcatcher, hey, we've got an RSS feed link that you can uh, grab and drop that into whatever podcatcher you're using. Uh, If you're using uh, iTunes or Stitcher, Uh, We're definitely on there, and if you would, take a moment to give us a review and let us know what you think. Uh, iTunes is a star rating. Stitcher is thumbs up, thumbs down per episode. Uh, Your reviews, positive or negative, can kind of help shape the adventure party and uh, help make it uh, better. Uh, Leave us feedback by emailing adventure at gncasts.com, or you can call or text us at 805-328-3966. Again, 805-328-3966, and you can leave us a text or voice message. If you do text, uh, depending on your particular package, you might end up uh, getting a a small fee uh, assigned to that. Uh, Galactic Netcasts also has a number of different shows, uh, Weird World Weekly, uh, the very swear-heavy Podcast of Terror, uh, so we've got a lot of different things that uh, that the network offers. You can check that all out at gncasts.com. Uh, again, thank you, Michael, for joining us and, and talking to us about organizing our RPG stuff in an easy-to-access manner like Obsidian Portal. Uh, where can people find out more about you and Trivia Geeks and anything else you do online? Well, Trivia Geeks... Uh airs Tuesday nights on Twitch. You just look up uh, Twitch slash Twitch TV slash Trivia Geek Show. Um, 9.15 p.m. is, uh, is showtime, and you can also find us <laughs> on Alpha Geek Radio, uh, Diamond Club, um, you know, 
come by, hang out, you know, listen to listen to our guests, you know, answer some funny questions and learn a few things from time to time. Um, and as far as me, I'm on Twitter and also Twitch at uh, at Dice Tomato. Um, you can find me there. Throw me a tweet. Watch me play something random. Um, lately, it's been the division. Um, might have me picking up a couple other things soon, and I'm also looking at YouTube gaming to kind of move my, my move my stream around. So we'll see how things develop there. Okay, very cool. And we will add that to our to our show notes uh, so that people can check that out. And I, once again, I highly recommend Trivia Geeks. It's a very fun show to listen to. So yeah, uh, we have a good time doing it. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely need to sign up to do it again because it was a great time, and I, I definitely want to come back. And Carrie was supposed to be my uh, my uh, ca- the captain essentially for for our team, so uh, we had her as a guest on Sci-Fi Geeks Club, and she was just a hoot. So I'm oh, yeah. really really want to get on her team next time I'm I'm on. So no n- no offense. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. I mean, we give you that ability. You go to our show, you go to our guest sign up, you choose your uh, you choose your host and go from there. No, that's very cool. And uh, yeah, once again, if you're listening to us, uh, check out Trivia Geeks. You you won't be disappointed. Uh, Glenn, still there? Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, thanks for for joining me once again. Uh, where can people find out more about you, the B Movie Bunker, and Mist Runner? You can find me on Facebook. Uh, just follow. You can follow me. You can follow the movie Bunky, Bunker, or Bunky. You know, if you <laughs> wanna. I'm 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 loose like that. Um, Mystery of the RPG, or go to YouTube and Guy in a Bunker Productions and Dewey Bunker, or just follow me on Twitter, Guy in a Bunker. Yes, and if you do go to Guy in a Bunker on YouTube, definitely check out. Uh, the horror shorts that Glenn has uh, written, directed, and put together. Uh, you won't be disappointed there either. So uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Adventure Party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.